Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one, one chapter, chapter at, at a time. Are you looking for a way to give back? ATB Cares makes it easy for all Albertans to support the causes they care about. Donate to your favorite charity through ATB Cares, and ATB will match 20% of every dollar donated to eligible Alberta charities. To learn more and donate, visit atbcares.com. It's been one of those days here at the Read Along. Ugh. You ever had one of those days? You know, you know the days. Those kind of days we're talking about. Uh, the good news is, silver lining, we have a new doorknob. <laughs> and we're inside where it's nice and warm. Yeah. So uh, we both leave in the morning to drop off our children at their respective school and day home. I drop off our son at his school, which is considerably closer. So I'm the first one back. And this morning, I went and put my key in the doorknob and turned it, and the doorknob promptly broke. <laughs> there was there was apparently a pop noise, and then the door did not open. Yeah, the lock was uh, broken shut. It is worth noting that this morning, it was minus 30 degrees Celsius. With the wind chill. So I went around back and uh, quickly determined I do not, in fact, have a key, nor does a key exist for our patio door. Which we've never had to unlock before, so it's just not a thing that really we, happens. We don't use our patio door all that often. Yeah. Uh, for more than just being in the backyard, like when Scott's barbecuing in the summer. Yeah. So uh, we have no way to get into the house all of a sudden, and it is blisteringly cold out. Minus 30. So we had to call an emergency locksmith this morning who uh, came and tried to jimmy open the door and then tried to pick the lock on the patio door and then finally back just- to jimmying the door. <laughs> and then finally just like broke off the doorknob <laughs> would be the best way to describe it. It was just like, no, you know what? You're getting a new doorknob anyway. Crank. Yeah. Your doorknob is clearly broken. I'm just going to break it further so that we can get into your house. Yeah. And then when he actually was dismantling it after having broken through the door- <laughs> Uh, like pieces of it were just popping off. Like that's how yeah. he was There was astonished. a lot of, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. Like, and that wasn't supposed to happen. Picture in your mind's eye, the way it looks when a cartoon robot starts to break down and there are gears <laughs> and springs flying out everywhere. And that is literally what it looked like this morning. Basically. He told us uh, when he took the doorknob apart, yeah. right, to take it out of the door, it's supposed to just sort of come apart and not go flying off in one direction. <laughs> yeah. So there was something very wrong. Uh, and then we discovered that our door had actually been cut incorrectly, and the latch, like the little groove that the latch is supposed to go into, was misaligned. And he was like, I'm surprised your door ever locked in the first place. Well, it did. Like, it used to latch yeah. quite fine. So I don't know. My guess is it's the cold, because yeah. sometimes our door shifts in the cold, Fair and enough. he just corrected for that. <sighs> The point is our door works now and yeah. we're inside where it's warm and safe. And uh, that is the important thing, but definitely one of those starts to the week. Yeah. So I had to email my boss from the car <laughs> saying, I'm going to be late because I'm locked out of my own house. Yeah. Sorry. That was, that was a thing. 
So uh, sitting in the garage with the door open. Keeping warm. Keeping warm in the running car. Waiting a half hour for the locksmith to show up. Yeah, no complaints about the locksmith. No. Did great work. No, bless him for coming out on this very cold morning and saving us. So that's the way our day started here uh, for us. And that's kind of the headspace we're in as we go into this recording. Good times, everybody. Yeah. But a quick recap of our previous chapter, chapter 17, in which everything goes very poorly. (laughs) Jebby and Vey are marched to a rebel base where they're introduced to Red, the first Westerner that uh, Jebby has ever had the opportunity to meet. And they are quickly conscripted to assist in a a mission that's going on right now. And because Jebby is a classically trained artist with frail little hands... (laughs) And ankles, apparently frail, frail ankles. And not at all a, a warrior. Uh, it goes about as as well as one could expect under those circumstances. And it all ends with a beheaded fox spirit. Uh, yeah. And that leads us into chapter 18 of Phoenix Extravagant by Yoon Ha Lee. Once again, we are dealing with an aftermath. We do that a lot. Yeah. In this novel, it seems. Event aftermath, event aftermath. Smash cut to Jebby (laughs) in prison again. Uh, Sort of. Under under tent arrest. Yeah. As prison as as can be in a wooden fortress with a bunch of tents. (laughs) Yeah. But alone (laughs) and, and under, yeah, under tent arrest. Feeling pretty sorry for themselves. Eh, understandable. I mean, they've recently been injured. They've been separated from Vey. They've been separated who is, from... Who is somewhere. Somewhere, yeah. Uh, injured. Yep. So they don't have an update on Vey. Haven't had a chance to talk to Bong Sunga hardly at all. Yep. Like, no one-on-one, at least. Right? Uh, has just witnessed a quote-unquote friend getting getting slain. Headed in front of them. Yeah. And generally, like, recognizing that they're in trouble, but not knowing what they're in trouble for. Because nobody's actually told them. Yeah. So, yeah, Jebby's in kind of a weird bad place yeah right now but they make friends with a cat yeah during (laughs) the the time that they're kind of loitering in the tent waiting for (laughs) any sort of update the guards aren't saying anything and are just kind of gruffly being like you shut up in there (laughs) like a skinny cat slinks in and jebby feels kind of sorry for it and also is like "Eh, it might report back to like the king of cats or something if i (laughs) like there might be some jellicle something going on here and i don't want to be in trouble with that, so. I'll have you know that the King of Cats lives in England. Fair enough. But, I mean, it might be a worldwide connection. You don't know. Well, I, maybe. Cats have always had fairy tales surrounding them because they're they're aloof. They're mysterious creatures. Oh, yeah. They, they have their own internal world, and we're just kind of seeing it from the outside. And so there are legends and tales oh. from multiple countries. Oh, yeah. Cats play a huge, they're, they're like almost like a cultural touchstone for lots of different cultures worldwide. Yeah. Involve cats in their stories and religions and well, and the idea of cats having their own like secret society is, I mean, practically that was in our previous novel, yeah, where someone was using cats to spy on people. (laughs) So yeah, when I say king of cats, that's just a placeholder for (laughs) for this kind of this ur myth that that touches multiple different cultures. But uh, the point is, Jebby doesn't want to upset the cat and feels kind of sorry for it. And I think kind of empathizes with it because Jebby's in a similar situation. Yeah. And so Jebby asks for some food. And after some grumbling, the guards get them like a bowl of millet with some strips of meat in it. And Jebby feeds the cat the meat. 
And well, the some cat... of the meat, I think. I think they share it. Yeah, and then the cat takes off. Yeah, having been fed. Yeah, Jimmy's a little worried the guards are going to try to eat it. <laughs> and he's like, number one, that cat is way too scrawny. And number yeah. two, don't eat the cat. Don't eat the cat. That Unacceptable. poor cat. Unacceptable. Cat doesn't deserve that. Finally, Bong Sunga does sweep into the tent and plop down and is like, all right, we need to chat. So, couple things. First thing, good news, they passed the loyalty test. Hooray. Bad news, you did not pass the loyalty test. Boo. Because you were essentially useless out there. You were practically a liability. And <laughs> that did not make us think you were on our side. <laughs> okay, but you have to look at the situation from Jebby's point of view, or at least with a sympathetic eye towards Jebby. Yeah. They were sick when they started. Yep. They fell immediately and injured themselves. They are not a warrior. Nope. And they had to watch one of their friends get beheaded right in front of them. It's not that Jebby's not loyal. Jebby just can't handle all of this. Yeah. And actually, something that, that gets touched on early in the chapter in typical Jebby fashion, which is to say Jebby is only vaguely aware of it and not really paying attention, is they apparently, upon returning to the camp, had argued with Bong Sunga and Red about, like, you sent us to that camp on purpose. Yeah, you purposely picked the worst possible scenario for us to be in to test us. Well, not only that, but you purposefully picked the camp that Jebby's friend was going to be at. Yeah. Yeah. Jebby, how come you're not a cold-hearted killer one day into your rebellion? Yeah. In a moment of actual compassion, practically the only one Bong Sunga has shown in most of this novel, mm -hmm. Bong Sunga does finally kind of begrudgingly admit, yeah, maybe I should have been a little more upfront with you about what I was up to, but you wanted to have your art and I was content to let you art up until you, you know, became a collaborator. <laughs> but again, Jebby didn't know not to become a collaborator. Because Bong Zunga never said anything. Exactly. I was very frustrated with Bong Zunga by the end of this chapter. Oh, I was very- Very frustrated. I was very frustrated with the whole rebellion by the end of this chapter, but we'll put a pin in that. Okay. <laughs> let's let's just kind of kind of get through the rest of the, the actual plot beats here, because it's actually a pretty short chapter. Not a lot happens. It's true. Bong Sunga's like, all right, well, obviously we can't use you as a fighter, but we're trying to figure out what we can use you for. So would you mind coming and taking a look at some of the art that we rescued from- <laughs> Recovered. From the, uh, from the looters and- See if you can help us catalog it. And Jebby's like, well, if it gets me out of the tent, sure. And gets taken into uh, an adjoining building, an actual mm -hmm. building, uh, where they're keeping crates of art. And Jebby starts going through and being like, well, you've got all these scrolls. They're not being well taken care of. You'll want to maybe get some scroll cases or something. This vase has been cracked. Might want to look into that. Yeah, this, is, this isn't like crazy uh, high art pieces, yeah. like by famous artists. They're not that old, et cetera, et cetera. Say what you will about Jebby being naive. Jebby's not stupid. And quickly sees through Bong Sunga's, uh, we're planning to have this all whisked out of the country so that it can be preserved. And is like, mm, yeah, none of this is packed up to be whisked out of the country. You're planning on breaking it down for your own pigments, aren't you? And Bong Sunga doesn't exactly deny this. No. Yeah. And that doesn't sit very well with Jebby. Nor, nor should it. Yeah. Because the whole thing from the beginning has never sat well with Jebby. It doesn't matter which side it's on. Jebby doesn't want to see art destroyed. Yeah. And I mean, Bong Sunga makes it pretty plain that, like, the reason why the Rasani are looting all of these Huaguk treasures is because they don't think they're of any value. No, that's not true. They think they're of great value. 
They it, want the pigments from them. No, the pigments have value. Yeah. The art itself doesn't, and that's why it's okay to destroy oh, no. that art. For that pigment. is the value of the art, is that it can be made into these pigments. That's yeah. why they want them. And that's the only reason they want them. Of course. Jemmy doesn't really want to have this argument with Bongsunga at this time, and so asks after Vey at this point. It's like, where's Vey? What's going on with her? Because she was injured last I saw her. And Bongsunga's like, oh yeah, she's recovering. We have a, we have a doctor who we trust. And... Jebby's immediately like, well, I don't, <laughs> if that's the yeah. best you can say about your doctor. And gets taken to, like, the uh, surgery tent, where the surgeon is. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> no, C-H, surgery. Yeah, surgery. Yeah, old-timey surgery. Where the surgeon works. Yeah. Vey is recovering, obviously injured and, yeah. like, doped up a little bit. But uh, awake. Yeah. Right. First thing Jebby notes is that Vey has cut off all of her long, luxurious hair uh. and is aghast and is like, what have they done to you? And Vey's like, no, that, that's me. I did that. Well, that's a, it's a tactical thing. Yeah. If we're going to be in a fight, I don't want long hair flapping in my face. So. No, legit. It's one thing to be in a duel with long hair and it's another thing to be in a war with a long hair. Yes. Yeah. Secondly, arrows out. Good thing I didn't yank it out. Like they like, do in all that famous art. Like some idiot. Actually, Bongsunga <laughs> brings that up earlier in the chapter. Yeah. That Vey is a professional enough soldier to know not to just yeah, rip an arrow don't, out. Don't just do that. But, damage um, in, damage out. Yeah, but uh, overall, Vey's doing okay. Maybe not fighting shape right away, but definitely but okay. on the road to recovery. And, yeah. and that at least is a little bit of good news. Yeah, for she Jimmy survived, which is the important part. Yeah. I think. And uh, the chapter ends with Bung Sunga and Vey sitting down to do a little strategizing. Strategizing. Yeah. And that's pretty much where we end off. All right. So now let's talk about it. So the thing that frustrates me is that Jebby has gone from a situation where they were in over their head and being used by people with an agenda to being in a situation where they're in over their head and they're being used by people with an agenda who are also being led by their sister. Yes. And that is almost somehow worse to me. Yes. And is making the rebels seem real dubious. And I don't know if that's the author's intention or not. I don't know either. It's very much one thing when clearly the bad guys are clearly using our protagonist for their own means, right? Yeah. It's quite another thing for your sibling to be doing that, especially when it's an older sibling who has clearly been put in a parental role. Yeah. Right? Like, Bongsunga's supposed to be watching out for Jebby. There's supposed to be some manner of love and care and attention, and there isn't. That would hurt. Right? Like, that's a betrayal. Yeah. That's why it's worse. Kind of. It's awful. It, it feels real bad, and it does not paint the rebels or Bongsunga in a very positive light at the I moment. don't think anyone's in a particularly positive light in this particular, quote-unquote, war I'm not sure if it's all out war or it's, not. It's or not. If it's the startings of, it's you know. An, it's an insurgency. Yeah, that's a better word for it. Thank yeah. you. But yeah, the rebels at the moment aren't exactly being colored as good guys so much as just different bad not, guys. Not as bad guys. Yeah. Because, yeah, so far Jebby's just been moved from, like, almost explicitly Jebby's been moved from a situation where they were a prisoner into a situation where they are still a prisoner. Yeah, except a now it's worse because it's... Their sister. Um, I also, I know we've gone back and forth on this, depending on which chapter we're in, but I was really frustrated with Bong Sunga by the end of this, because it seems like she has this double standard for Jebby, 
And so I've been processing this for a couple days since I read the chapter. She's mad at Jebby for not paying attention to the politics and not getting involved. At the same time, purposely keeping Jebby out of the politics, trying not to get them involved, letting them have their art, I don't know, to keep them safe? I'm not sure. I don't know why that is. And that's a horrible double standard. You can't be mad at someone for not taking an interest in something that you've purposely kept them away from. Well, we kind of touched on this a few chapters ago, and I feel like Bongsunga was dropping hints, but was being perhaps too subtle, because Jebby is not the best at picking up hints. Do you know what I think it is? Hmm. This, this is pure speculation on my part. I have no text to back this up. I think it has to do with Gia. I mean, yeah. Follow me on this. When Bongsunga lost Gia, that was the end of her world. She lost someone that she loved the most. And I think, deep down, whether she acknowledges it or not, Bongsunga is mad at Jebby for not being as upset about losing Gia as she was. That's very probable. That's what I think it is. I think this is, either conscious or subconscious, a low-level punishment. How dare your world not end when my world ended? That is very likely part of it, yes. And I mean, we've called out Jebby for being self-centered as well. Oh, yeah. And that's definitely a a character flaw of Jebby's. Mm -hmm. They are very myopic when it comes to focusing in on their own interests. And that was to an extent to the detriment of their relationship with Bongsunga. Bongsunga definitely is very much partly at fault here, but so is Jebby. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not saying that Jebby is completely blameless in all of this. But in this particular chapter, my frustration is with Bong Sunga because it really does seem like, like she's holding this double standard. There's something else that, that happened that uh, I would also like to talk about that occurred to me. Mm-hmm. You recall earlier I was talking about how this, this feels like a failed coming-of-age story mm-hmm. where I was like, Jebby, get it together. <laughs> like, do something, right? So Bong Sunga takes Jebby to catalog all this art and to go through it. And suddenly it's Jebby's time to shine, right? It's time for Jebby to prove to their sister that it has not all been in vain. I can help you. I can catalog this art. I can talk about it. I can teach you things. I can do all this stuff. And then that whole concept gets stepped on by talk of they. And then the story shifts because we have to talk about battle strategies now. Well, yeah, it's interesting because Bongsunga sweeps the rug out from under Jebby by being like, yeah, they already told us everything you're telling us. We're just double checking your story against hers. Right? Because Vey also has an interest in art. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, okay. So Jebby can corroborate Vey's story saying, yep, I agree, this, 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 and this. Vey obviously would know what she's talking about. Vey is much more valuable to the rebellion than Jebby in every way is yes. basically where that's going. Yeah, basically. Except that, you know, Jebby can talk to a giant mechanical dragon yeah i'm so here's where i'm at and this is simply because i'm looking at how much book is left and not a lot of not book a lot. is left and there seems like there's so much more story left that needs to be resolved agreed uh, especially if our story has shifted to jebby is now a rebel and the rebels need to fight the empire it doesn't seem like there's a lot of time left for that and I'm actually beginning to wonder if this story is going to end with Jebby getting on Arazi and them flying away. Maybe. And just leaving all this behind because they don't 
want to be involved in it. No, they don't. And to an extent, neither does Arazi. Arazi just wants to live peacefully. Yeah. And I think Jebby is coming to that realization, too, that the rebels, from Jebby's perspective, are just as bad as the Empire. Mm-hmm. They're just on a different side. They're just on the other side. And Jebby doesn't want to be, Jebby just wants to go and do art. And Arazi just wants to go and live peacefully. And I think that by the end of this story, that Jebby's going to peace out. I would, honestly, I'd root for them, the two of them. I'd root <laughs> for them to do that. Just go. Also, can we briefly talk for a second about how little Arazi is in these last few chapters? Jebby's been off doing Jebby stuff. Jebby has a very brief conversation in their head with Arazi in this chapter, and that's it. But Arazi has very much been in the background for the last like two or three chapters, and further, I'm surprised. Well, further to my statement of how I'm beginning to suspect the trajectory of the story is going, though, what does Arazi tell Jebby? I'm here if you need to bug out. Yeah. I will take you and we will go. And who's going to stop Arazi? Nobody. Not the rebels. No. <laughs> like they, the, I don't think the rebels could stop Arazi even if they wanted to. No, Arazi's only there because of uh, certain loyalty to Jebby, mm-hmm. and because it cut a deal with Bong Sungo. We don't know the details of that deal. That deal might be over and done with. So for all we know, the, yeah. The 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 deal might have just been that one raid. Jebby is Arazi's only friend. <laughs> that sounds harsh. Vey is yes. probably could also probably be called Arazi's friend. But Jebby it's... is Jebby is the first person who gave Arazi agency and freed them in every conceivable way. And that's gonna buy you loyalty. So Arazi has Jebby's back, and again, I think that that is pointing towards Arazi and Jebby piecing out. Yeah. And just being like, you know what? We don't need these people. We don't need to be involved in this conflict. Let's go. You know, and if it happened, I'd be okay with it. Well, especially because Jebby's beginning to realize they're not very useful to the Rebellion. Arazi is explicitly not useful to the Rebellion. Why well, stick around? Arazi would be useful to the Rebellion. So would Jebby if Jebby had the, the ability to function in combat and use the battle art again. Something they don't want to do and are somewhat traumatized from having done. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so maybe, maybe war is not for everybody, right? This could be the story of someone who realizes war is not for them. Maybe. Yeah, but I guess we'll have to wait and see if that's the case. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of book left, so we'll get there. When we get there. I would say no more than four or five chapters left. Yeah. But uh, one of those chapters is chapter 19, which you'll want to read up on in time for next week. (laughs) It will be the next chapter. Indeed. Yes. In the meantime, you know, if you're looking to improve your local community the way the Huagugan rebels are, you probably don't have to stage an insurrection. Instead... (laughs) Uh, you can probably just donate to the organizations that are giving back to the community. And here in Edmonton, uh, there is a place, the Edmonton Community Foundation, which can help you do that. And wouldn't you know it, they have a podcast that talks about how that organization helps the city of Edmonton. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. 
Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out the wellendowedpodcast.com. Now, obviously, if you're not in Edmonton, uh, the Edmonton Community Foundation isn't going to help you out much. But good news, probably there are organizations just like it near to you. You should seek them out online and find ways that you can give back to your own communities as well. For sure. Uh, another community you can give back to is the Alberta Podcast Network, and it's really easy to do. Just go and check out albertapodcastnetwork.com, find other member podcasts that you want to support, and go and download them on your podcatcher of choice. Absolutely. While you're there, uh, maybe give us a little rating and a review. That supports us. Yeah, and we'd like it a lot. Yeah. It would make us smile. Uh, you can share your support online via social media. Absolutely. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We are at the read along on most of them. Yeah, you can also reach out to us via email. Yes, at thereadalong at gmail.com. And with that said, as always, we love you very much, and we'll see you next time. Stay home and look after yourself. Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All read along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along and check out our group on Goodreads.com. 